thank you um, so much to all those people who came along on Wednesday evening for our vision evening. Um, I, I felt really encouraged. I felt like it was a really, um, it was a lovely time together, really lovely time of worship, really lovely time of prayer. So thank you for coming along. And as I mentioned um, on Wednesday, we're, we're now jumping into a new sermon series, um, which is entitled The Church on Fire. Our vision as a church is to be uh, well, our vision is that the church would be set alight, the church would be on fire with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and, and that this would lead to um, the renewal and the transformation of our town, that we would see um, Jesus at work through us to bring life to Felton. We want to see the church on fire, um, not just our church, but the church in Felton. We want to see Feltham alive. We are a church in Feltham for Feltham. And so over the next kind of 10 weeks, we are going to be in the book of Acts and having a look at um, what happens when the church is set on fire by the Holy Spirit and be praying throughout this series, God, would you do it again? Would you do it in our time, in our midst, in our little church and in the churches in Feltham and beyond? So that's what we're going to be looking at. Um, I mentioned on Wednesday also that we are going to be sending out some Bible studies on the back of each of the sermons that we'll be preaching on during this sermon series. So um, if you aren't already, can I encourage you to grab one of these welcome cards, fill in your details, um, tick the box that says you're happy to receive emails, and then we'll send through on a, on a Sunday morning. Um, what will end up being is a, a, what the passage will be, a summary of what we've, um, what we've been teaching on, and then it's a, it'll be a, a model of Bible study that I encountered when I was um, a, a, at university. It's called the Swedish Method. I don't know why it's called the Swedish Method, um, but I, I feel happy that it's called the Swedish Swedish method. And uh, it basically involves going through four things uh, as a Bible study. You read the scripture. Um, you, there's a light bulb symbol, which is as you read it, what stands out to you? Um, a question mark. So what questions kind of come to you as you read this scripture? Um, then there's an arrow, which is um, how is this applied to my life? And can I encourage you as you do the application piece, don't, don't keep it broad and general, something that you can't, you know, keep doing. Like, I'm going to love everybody always for the rest of my life. That's a, that's a wonderful application, but impossible. So try and, try and think of something that you can apply to your life this week on the back of the scripture that you've read. And then the last one is a speech bubble. And the speech bubble is, who am I going to tell? I've read this about Scripture. I've learned this about God. Who do I need to tell about this? Um, and this is going to be a weekly thing. And what I want to encourage you to do, rather than us um, creating groups for you to be a part of, um, we want you to take some responsibility. So we'll send the email, and I'd love you to gather as families or with your partner or with some friends with a beer or whatever it might be, or even by yourself if that's how you prefer to do it. But let's decide together that as we read through Acts and as we pray that God would do it again, um, that, that we're really engaging with Scripture ourselves. It'd be really wonderful if, you know, at the end of the week, we've, we've, each of us has had a chance to pray through and read Scripture at least once, if not hopefully every day. But let's say we'll, we'll start with once together. So that's the plan. So the talks are going to be recorded from this Sunday as well. They'll go up on the website. So if you miss a talk, you'll be able to listen to the talk and do your Bible study. Because my hope is that we're really going somewhere as a church this next 10 weeks. I feel really very excited about what God is going to do in and through um, this series. 
So, uh, like I said, our vision is to be, well, is for the church in Feltham to be on fire and for Feltham to come alive. I just want to unpack really quickly why fire? Um, What is it about fire that's kind of compelling me at the moment? Why has that image become important? Well, there's two reasons, really. One, um, it's because when I read in Acts chapter 2, this moment at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church in tongues of fire, sets the church on fire, full of his presence, full of his power. And then from that, um, there is this movement of the gospel that transforms the city. And so when, when the church is on fire with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit at work in it, we see a gospel movement that will transform our town. And so we're praying that God will fill our little church with the Holy Spirit, set us on fire for the benefit of Felton. We don't want that just for the, our church, we want it for the church. Um, secondly, so I'd been reading this in Acts and I'd been loving this image. And then in a prayer meeting um, before we were sent out, um, uh, there was this guy that came up to me and he was like, Do you know, I saw the picture of the church up on the screen. Um, and as I was looking at it, it looked like it was on fire. And uh, he saw that this fire wasn't destroying the church, but it was building the church up and it was spreading out and it was transforming the town. So the fire, this idea of the church being on fire has become a really important um, image for me. It gets me excited. For me, it it brings to mind passion. It brings to mind power, life. Um, It it, it pushes against the idea that the church is asleep and apathetic, but more it's it's rising up, it's awake, it's dynamic, it's restorative, it's a gospel movement. And uh, so that's what we're hoping for, that we'll see the church um, come on fire. And so we're going to look at over the coming kind of 10 weeks, what, what are the markers of a church that's on fire? The church is full of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's all really from Acts chapter 1 through to Acts chapter 4. Um, and we're going to do that over 10 weeks. We're not going to get very far into Acts. I'm really sorry. Um, but it's really good and very easy to read. So you can read it yourself if you wish. But we're only going to get up to Acts chapter 4. And we'll be looking at the church that waits, the church that's on fire, full of the Holy Spirit, the church that has courage, the church that's repentive, uh, repentant, the church is holy, it demonstrates hospitality, it grows, it's faithful and full of faith, and it causes a disturbance. That When the church is on fire, the city knows about it. It disturbs the status quo. And so today, I, I know we've talked about Acts, we're actually going to start in Luke, which probably doesn't make any sense, but that is... <laughs> That's fine. Luke wrote Luke and Acts, and they kind of follow on to each other. So it makes sense in my mind and hopefully in yours. And today what we're going to be looking at is that one of the markers when a church is on fire is that it witnesses. It can't help but witness. In Acts chapter 4, the disciples, when they're facing persecution against the authorities, they say, we cannot help but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. They witness even in the face of persecution, even if it's unpopular. And so one of the markers of a church on fire is that it witnesses. It bears witness to the king and his incoming kingdom. Now, Luke and Acts um, are written by this guy, Luke, and it provides, firstly, in, in the Gospel of Luke, an eyewitness account to the life and times of Jesus. And then in Acts, an eyewitness account to the life, times, birth, and spread of the church and the kingdom of God. Um, Acts begins with the disciples sitting together with Jesus. Jesus then tells them that the Holy Spirit's coming. He then ascends into heaven, and then the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, setting the church on fire, and we see this movement as the disciples share the good news of Jesus into the known world and beyond, and it brings transformation. As you read Acts, it's such an exciting read of what God does through people like Peter, 
people like Paul, people like Stephen. It is an incredible and compelling read. It's this wonderful time in history where God moves so powerfully. The culture around them is transformed and loads and loads of people um, come to faith. And every time I read Acts, I find myself saying, Lord, would you do again? What we see in this, this, in this an account of what's going on in Acts, would you do it again? Would you move powerfully? Would you transform our culture? Would you bring a bunch of your sons and daughters home? And uh, in Acts, as we read it, we read about these miracles, like in Acts chapter 3, where there's this guy who can't walk, and suddenly he's able to walk again. The gospel heals people. We read how Peter shares the gospel to a crowd, and loads of people come to faith. In it, we read about a church that lives so radically that poverty is basically eradicated. It reads, when you read it, it says that everybody had everything in common and nobody was in need. This kingdom breaks out and stands up against injustice and eradicates poverty. We read in it how the disciples devoted themselves to prayer, reading scripture, worshiping and breaking bread, and they set a wonderful example of what the church does together when it builds community. And then we read also the persecution the church faced. So the disciples were willing to count the cost of what it meant to be a witness. They, they, that meant that they, they endured beatings. They spent time in jail. Um, and many of them, except well, all of them, except for, the, for, for John, were killed for their faith. Which is, for some people, the fact that all of these disciples, except John, were, were, were martyred, were killed for their faith, is actually a compelling reason to believe that, that the gospel, this story, is true. You know, these, these guys, before when Jesus was nailed to the cross and was killed, they fled. Then something happens which makes them become these powerful witnesses throughout the world, and none of them back down, even, even in the face of death. It's evidence that Jesus is alive, and this is good news worth sharing that can transform a city. So I'm massively excited about this series, as you can probably tell. I'm really praying that we would adopt some of the practices of the early church, and my prayer is that God would um, set us alight with the power of the Holy Spirit, set us on fire, and through us, we would see Feltham utterly transformed. He would bring his resurrection life to the streets of Feltham in and through his church. Are you up for that? Good. So let's have a look at the scripture. Not Acts. <laughs> Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible or if you have a smartphone or if you have eyes, um, it will be on the screen. Um, I'd encourage you too, if you don't, uh, like if you have a Bible, um, we're going to get some Bibles for the church, by the way. But um, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to bring it along because we're really going to ground ourselves in this. And it's quite handy to have a Bible in your hands um, as we tackle Scripture together. But here's, a, here's the passage we're looking at today. It's in Luke 24, verse 36. While they were still talking among, about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Imagine the turmoil the disciples were feeling at this time. Jesus, the guy they were following, who had made all these claims about himself, was dead. And uh, now, now there's this, this, this story that he's alive. And can you imagine like, with the confusion, the anxiety, what's going on? And Jesus stands amongst them and says, peace be with you. That'd be, that'd be quite, they're, they're significant words in the midst of that, the peace that they would have experienced. Oh, you're alive. And yet, <laughs> they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. 
He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So he's making, he's demonstrating really that he is alive. He's showing the hands, his feet. He's got an appetite. He is human, living and breathing. Jesus is alive. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. Sounds disgusting. And he took, what is it, what is broiled fish anyway? Does anyone know? Is, is it like baked and boiled? Is that, anyway, um, we'll find that out later and, and let you know what it tastes like. It's not important. And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And then, in verse 45, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. Isn't that amazing? God, Jesus, in this moment, he opens the disciples' minds so that these aren't just academic ideas or prophecies of the past. It becomes a reality, a heart reality that this is true. He opens their minds. And for many of us who, who would call yourself Christians, who put your trust in Jesus, this is what he does. When he calls you, he opens your minds to the scriptures. And I, it should be a prayer that as we read scripture, that he would do that more and more for us, that he would open our minds to what this is all about. And then he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his, names, in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. When the church comes alive with the power of the Holy Spirit, it becomes a witness. It bears witness that the King, Jesus Christ, is alive and the kingdom is here and it's breaking in. Our great joy is to be a witness to the love and the grace of God. And amazing things happen when the church becomes a witness. I was in, um, I was in Felton Young Offenders on Thursday meeting with a chaplain. Um, so on Wednesday, we'd spoken about how the team was going to go um, into the prison. We'd start to think about what does it look like for us um, to serve the chaplaincy team um, in Felton Young Offenders. And um, Matt, was, Matt, who's the, the chaplain there, was telling us a little bit about what's going on in the prison. He was telling us about um, its, its reputation. Um, and, you know, one little anecdote, he was, he was saying that there's like these little um, alarm buttons that um, uh, pressed in the, in the case of, um, of an emergency, if, something's, if something serious is breaking out. And um, he was saying that in many prisons across the country, that 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 button's pressed two or three times a week. I mean, Felton is pressed upwards of eight, nine times a day. Um, and so it, it, it has a reputation for being a, a, a difficult and violent place. Uh, but he was telling me this story of this young lad, Junior. Um, and Junior was uh, a guy who was held in Felton Young Offenders on reprimand, um, waiting for his court case. He was um, caught up in a murder uh, on a murder child, charge, 
Um, and on his first night, he asked the chaplaincy team for a Bible. Um, he wasn't a Christian. He asked the, the chaplaincy team for a Bible. He read this Bible, and, and he became a Christian. Um, Jesus, you know, as we've read in this Luke 24, Jesus opened his mind up to the gospel. Um, and in that moment, on that first night, um, Matt told me he, he, he gave his life to Christ. He, he repented of his sin and he experienced the forgiveness and the freedom that's found in Christ. And his life was utterly transformed. Then what happens, um, Matt was saying, is that this guy, Junior, started to establish a prayer meetings among um, some of the people who were also um, in the prison and began to lead Bible studies and began to lead people to faith. Um, and uh, Matt was saying, too, that he was one of those guys who was such a positive force in the prison that the prison office really, um, really liked him, um, and uh, he, they could see that he was good news in, in the prison. Um, what ended up happening was that he was, he was acquitted of that charge, and Matt lost touch with him, and uh, he was at the is at the leadership conference, which some of us are at on Monday, Tuesday um, at the Royal Albert Hall. And uh, Matt was there. He was sat down the front, and he managed to catch eyes with this young lad, Junior, um, who was at the leadership conference. He's now a financial analyst, um, and he is still full-on following Jesus to this day, uh, bearing witness to what he has experienced in and through him. And this is what the gospel does. The gospel takes hold of people, the lost the broken, the hurting, the confused, and it brings healing, hope, and forgiveness and sets people on a different track to what they would have been um, had Jesus not grabbed a hold of them. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, with that work through, it then becomes a witness to who God is, who this true God is. And, and this is kind of how the movement of the gospel happens. That's what I long for, like a movement of the gospel where people's lives are transformed by Jesus, um, who then share the gospels, whose lives are transformed. We see a movement that goes from there. And so in this passage, Jesus, um, similarly to what happened to this young guy, Junior, Jesus opens the minds of the disciples to understand the depth and the beauty of of the gospel. The gospel being that, that Jesus, our Messiah, suffered and died upon the cross. He took upon himself our sin, our shame, all the mess that we make, the mess that we're affected by, nailed to the cross and took victory over it. And in rising again, he makes forgiveness possible through repentance, is what this scripture says. That is that we need to accept our need of this forgiveness. Our, we need to accept that we need to turn from the sin that's in our lives in order to receive this forgiveness. It's, it, it is a, it's a plea. Jesus, help. And he, um, he then transforms. He comes into the life and transforms it. This is the gospel. John Tyson, who um, I've really enjoyed reading some of his stuff recently, he, he writes of the gospel this way. He says, The gospel is the good news that God our Father, the Creator, out of His great love for us, has, res has come to rescue us from sin, Satan, death, and hell, and to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, to establish His kingdom through His people in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is God's great glory and our profound joy. God's great glory is the gospel that he has saved us. And our profound joy is the fact that we get to receive this gospel. We get to receive forgiveness, hope, and life through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. This is what we are witnesses to. 
We don't, we don't come into the world with an oppressive or a judgmental message. We come in with the message that God loves us and freed us through Jesus Christ. We are bringing good news to the world. This is what we lead with. And I think sometimes we get a little bit in trouble as a church because we lead with the wrong things. We need to lead with the fact that God loves us, that there, was a, there is a problem called sin and he's done something about it. We fundamentally believe that God loves us. We get to witness to this gospel. Graham Tomlin, um, when, who's the Bishop of Kensington, who was like the one that said, come and do this. Um, I remember he got all the clergy, the Kensington area together, and he taught us from 1 Peter chapter 2 that there are two main purposes when it comes to what the church is. You can kind of summarize them down into two W's, um, and that is that we are here to worship and we are here to witness. That is that we are here to declare the praises of God back to God, and we are to declare the praises of God to the world. So it feels quite fitting that um, last week we were focusing on what does it look like for us to be a church that worships, and Lauren smashed that, so I'm really grateful to her. And it feels wonderful today that we are focusing on that mandate to witness that the gospel is real, to bear witness to the reality that Jesus is alive, that the King is on his throne. His kingdom is both here and it's breaking in. And so our job as a church, and this is what I'd love us to figure out, is what does it look like for us to demonstrate that the gospel is true in word and deed? What words are we saying? What lives are we living that attest to the fact that Jesus is alive? When we first um, had heard about this opportunity to plant Christchurch Felton, um, the first thing that we did was come here and check it out. And coming out of the station, I was struck by St. Catherine's. I don't know if you ever, if you ever feel um, a, a sense of sadness, really, when you see St. Catherine's, when you come out of the station. You see this wonderful tower and the, and the rest of the body of the church that's been knocked down. It's no longer a church. The church was built in 1880. And it was designed, it was put there to be a place of worship and witness. A place where Christians were gathered together to worship the living God and to be a witness to Felton that Jesus is alive. And sadly, when you look at it today, it's not bearing witness to a living Jesus, but to a God who, who appears to have moved out of town. Um, I've heard it said that an empty church is like an empty palace of a long-forgotten king. People walk past it and they say, the king is dead. This is the great sadness when it comes to closing churches. It bears witness that Jesus isn't alive. But this is our great joy at being a church plant here in Christchurch. Opening this church again. The very, the very purpose of doing that is to bear witness to the fact that Jesus is alive, that the King is alive, that God hasn't moved out of town, that he is here, he is mighty to save, he loves the people of Felton, and he's not finished with them yet. And so it's been such fun getting onto the high street and felt them on the occasions we have and being able to have these conversations, telling people that God loves them, um, to invite them to our Easter services. And I think there's more to be, there's obviously more to be done. Um, and what's great too is that we've, there's been so many other churches that are getting involved with that. Every time we're up on the high street, there's two or three different Christian groups that are all doing the same thing, bearing witness that Jesus is alive. 
And so I would love us, you know, as a church um, plant here in Felton, to be a church that's full of the Holy Spirit. And one of the outworkings of that is that we bear witness to the gospel. So I have a couple of ideas, which I've spoke about um, on Wednesday, um, but we're going to now put, we're going get, to get them going. I'll tell them just one second. Before I do, can I say, when it comes to bearing witness, I, I do find, I find this hard. It's a stretch. It makes me feel uncomfortable. It's one of those things I have to decide to do. And um, often I'm like, I don't really want to do it because people might, you know, say they don't like me. Um, and that matters a lot to me. Um, so there, there's a choice and there's a cost to this. Um, and I want us to, 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 to be real about that. I remember when I was a teenager and I'd just come to faith, I would tell everything that moved that Jesus was alive, and I'd bring them all along to church, and I saw a bunch of my friends come to faith. And the older I've got, the more self-conscious I've become, the more fearful I've become. I've had a few rejections. One in particular, I remember this guy, John, um, he was telling me how life had got really, really tough, and I thought, here's a chance for me to share the gospel with him. And so I talked about Jesus, and I told him about his need for you know, repentance, and through repentance comes forgiveness and life, and that you know, if Jesus, you, you know, trust Jesus with your life that could that could transform um, your life and so we got to the point where like okay John can I pray with you that you know you become a Christian he said no and uh, you know I'd like invested a good half an hour into him you know and and I think I'd articulate the gospel pretty well and he still said no and that sometimes happens Um, but here's the encouragement in the, in the last verse, which I didn't read um, at the beginning, in verse 49 of Luke 24, um, Jesus says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, um, which we'll look at next week in more detail, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. We're really going to hone into what that means for us as a church next week. But I, I think this is such a relief, actually, when I read this, that, that this, isn't, this isn't our mission, you know, bearing witness is God's mission. And we don't have to muster the strength and the words and all that sort of stuff. We just have to rely, rely on the Spirit of God who's at work in us, in and through us. Um, he, this would be one of the markers that, that we want to make really important, that it's not our mission. Um, that it's not, we're not doing everything in our own strength. We're not trying to create and muster up all of these sorts of things for our own best thinking. What we want to be is a church that's being used by God to build his kingdom. And, and so that, these two passages reminds us that it is the Holy Spirit at work in us that enables us to be a witness, both individually and corporately. But there's still a choice that has to be made. Um, we need to be willing to take the risk we need to be willing to open ourselves up to the Spirit and to go and to see what happens. Um, so it's not up to us, but a decision does need to be made for us to go out together. So here are two quick things um, that we are going to do as a church that I'd love to invite you to be a part of. Um, firstly, and very briefly, um, we, are, we are gearing up to do Alpha, not this term, but next term. The reason why I want to put this on your radar now is because I want you to be thinking about who could I invite. Um, For those of you who don't know what Alpha is, Alpha is a series of sessions exploring the Christian faith. And each each session kind of looks at 
a different question related to the faith, like who is Jesus? Why did he die? Why do we pray? What's the Bible? Who's the Holy Spirit? And then it's designed to facilitate a conversation between the, between the people who come along. And so that's, that's what we're going to be doing, and we're going to start that September the 25th. Um, and can I say, I've run Alpha loads and loads and loads of times. I absolutely love it. Um, it, it is the most scary and exciting thing that, I, uh, that I've done. You know, you get a group of people with, in your group that some of them um, know nothing about faith. Some of them have all sorts of opinions about how life works and all that kind of stuff. And you get to have these wonderful conversations around who Jesus is. Um, and I've seen a bunch of people come to faith on the back of it. Um, so I'd love you to consider how you can get involved. So one, it might be that you've never done Alpha before. Can I encourage you to do it so you know what it's like, what you're inviting people to? Um, could I encourage you to think about who you might like to invite, particularly from the Feltham area? Um, who could you, could you invite and do it with them? Or thirdly, um, to run Alpha, you need, a ma- you need like a decent team. Um, who are willing to lead small groups or, or help out with hospitality and all that sort of stuff. So I'd love you to start thinking now, how can, we, how can you get involved um, in our Alpha course that we'll be running in September? I'm going to talk about this a lot over the coming weeks um, so that we're as prepared and prayed up as we can possibly be and believe that, that God will, will draw people to our course and people will come to faith. So that's the first thing we're going to do in terms of bearing witness. The second thing, and that's kind of them coming to us. The, the second thing is we're going to go to Felton. Um, I mentioned on Sunday, uh, on Wednesday, that uh, we're going to start these missional community groups in Felton. If our vision is to be a church on fire and to see Felton come alive, our mission, so how we're going to see that happen, is through loving Felton and making disciples, essentially bearing witness to the gospel. Uh, my dream really is that, that everyone in Feltham is blessed um, and knows that they're loved by God. And every person in Feltham has an opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we're aiming for. And so today, we're going to be launching these missional community groups. And I'd love you to sign up to be a part of them. This is how it's going to work. Um, there's, going to, there's four places in and around Feltham um, where these groups are going to happen. Um, they're, they're going to gather together. I've got some, uh, some little sign-ups that we're going to do in just a second. And uh, we're going to form these groups during this week. The leaders of those groups are then going to gather those people. Um, we want you to prayerfully and strategically think about what you could do together, an event or something that will... Um, bless Feltham and give people an opportunity to hear about Jesus. Then to up the stakes slightly, um, we have cornered off £100 per group from the church budget to give you, because um, I, I, you know, we've, well, some of you have read that parable that Jesus, Jesus talked about, giving out the talents and um, using the talents or burying the, tra- the talents. You bring me back that £100, even if it's £105, because you've managed to get some return on it, I'm going to be annoyed. So um, what I want you to do is to take this £100 and use it um, to, to do whatever missional events or activity, whether it's cleaning up a park or it's having a barbecue or it's um, wandering around. And I, I'm not going to do a list because you guys have come up with something far more creative than I will. And, uh, and then this, these groups won't be ones that will be meeting 
you know, kind of weekly, there'll be groups um, that will meet as and when they need to in order to plan um, this event or whatever it might be. Um, because I don't want these groups to take the place of the furnace. Our prayer meetings are absolutely vital. And so we'll use the furnace to pray for these groups um, each week. Um, but you meet as often as you need to to kind of do your event. Does that make sense? So we're hoping that there'll be four things that are happening in and around Felton that will bless Felton, will give people an opportunity to share Jesus, may even be um, a, a kind of a, a point for people to invite people to Alpha. So that's why Alpha is happening straight after these groups. Uh, and so the four groups... Um, uh, the, so the, the Kilpatricks are hosting a group on Sparrow Farm Estate, um, which is that way, yes. Um, and uh, that, that to me is a really exciting area. I'm really grateful you guys are up for it because uh, it, it doesn't have a huge amount of Christian presence in it. And, you know, the community center's closed down and there's just a lot of stuff that they're kind of up against it. And it's uh, how cool to have a Christian presence in there that we're going to go in there and we're going to witness, bear witness to the goodness of God um, in that area. So that's Sparrow Farm Estate. Um, then the Reshers. Beth's in there, Luke's just here. They're, they're going to be hosting a group in North Feltham over near St. Dunstan's, um, and uh, that, that will be loads of fun. Um, then the, the Clarks and the Millards uh, are doing a group next door. Um, <laughs> so we'll call that Central Feltham. Um, so there, there'll be that group there, and then uh, the Wilsons and us are going to do one in here. Um, so uh, there'll be a competition going on between the church and the next-door neighbours. For that, uh, competition's a good thing, I'm sure. And uh, the whole purpose is that there, this is timed. So I want you to sign up to a group and then um, hopefully, well, do something before um, kind of mid-September. Um, and then on our vision night on October the 6th, we're going to start sharing some of the things that happened, what God did. And also, if you can do your thing before we start Alpha, so you have something to invite people to as well if they're up for it. Um, that's the plan. So uh, we're going to hand out these papers right now.